humans. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Monday to you. This is Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Happy Monday in January, but the last one. So be good. So we're, we got one of the, we're just about done with one of the bad boys, what I call the bad boys. So um, uh, those are months where I cannot be on my bicycle in the Twin Cities. So we're just about done with that. Ready to go on to bad boy number two. That would be February, although we've been in actually several bad boys already. Okay, enough about that, Ellie. We have a great show. I'm going to talk to you about idealism as usual, okay? But our theme for this show is about unifying rather than dividing, okay? Those um, who listen to me regularly know that I am a unifier. I am not a divider. And I'm going to talk uh, about one and to another idealist who represents unifying. Um, the idealist I want to talk about is from California um, in the 1960s. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, and that idealist uh, is related to, um, well, is part was part of the farm workers movement in the 1960s. So everyone has heard about Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers. Okay? Um, however, uh, and someday I will probably highlight uh, Chavez, but today I want to talk about an idealist who united um, uh, Chavez's constituency, which is mainly Latinos, um, with uh, uh, the Filipino uh farm workers in the Central Valley of California. And by the way, I better tell you that much of what I'm going to relate to is from Wikipedia as well as from a September 19, 2015 National Public Radio story. So our unifier on the farm labor front is a man named uh, Larry Itlion. Um, he's also nicknamed Seven Fingers. He was nicknamed Seven Fingers because he lost three fingers in an accident um, on Cannery Row in Alaska. Uh, Itlion uh, was born in the Philippines in 1913. He immigrated to the U.S. Uh, when he was 16 years old in 1927. He only had a sixth grade education, but it turns out he's a very smart man. He spoke several Filipino languages along with Japanese, Cantonese, and Spanish. Um, and uh, he started to engage in the labor movement um, very early. He was only 17 years old, barely in the United States, um, when uh, he got involved uh, with his very first strike. And he must have gotten a fever at that point and understood about the power of organizing. So once he came to the United States, he began to move around. And as I said, he, he worked in canneries in Alaska, um, where he lost his three fingers. Um, and while he was there, he started to organize cannery and agricultural workers in Alaska. Um, and then from there, he went to organize agricultural workers in Montana, in Washington State, and in South Dakota in the 1930s. And my students of history right now listening, you will remember that organized labor um, had it very tough in the 1930s um, and, uh, and in the late 1920s. It was not easy. There was great resistance. Um, there, were, there was great violence associated with trying to organize. Eventually, um, uh, uh, Itlion uh, settled in Stockton, California, in California's Central Valley. And, <clears throat> and uh, as he began to uh, start to do uh, labor organizing in the Central Valley, World War II intervened, and that caused uh, Itlion and, and uh, you know, th millions of other uh, Americans to go and serve in the military. Itlion served in the Navy as a mess man on a transport ship, and I can just imagine as a Filipino on a transport ship, probably filled with a lot of white service members, um, I can just imagine um, perhaps some of the marginalization that he felt. After World War II, Itlion um, went back to Stockton, and uh, and I should note that in Stockton, uh, there was a place called Little Manila, which had the largest population of Filipinos outside of the Philippines. So 
Stockton wasn't necessarily a very big city, but it had a lot of Filipinos. Now, 200 miles to the south of Stockton is a town, a city named Delano. Um, Delano is near Bakersfield. So you've got the Central Valley. On one end, you have Stockton. On the other end, you have Delano. About 200 miles worth. Um, and all throughout the Central Valley, there were uh, Latino farm workers as well as F Filipino farm workers. Um, <clears throat> but, but each of those uh, nationalities had different leadership with different, different leadership goals. And those goals did not necessarily meet. Um, and so, uh, you know, they didn't ne necessarily correlate with each other in terms of the two groups. Uh, as I said, um, Itlion went back to <clears throat> uh, California after the war. And by 1948, he was leading the asparagus workers, who were mainly Filipinos, on a strike. Uh, he began to work his way um, through the union ranks until um, he was with the AFL-CIO and eventually led its Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee. And that uh, AFL-CIO Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee, come on, Ellie, you can read this, okay? It began to become very, very active in 1965. Uh, beginning in the spring of 1965, it helped organize a strike um, in Coachella Valley against grape growers. And even though the Filipino uh, farm workers did not get a contract out of that strike, they did get higher wages. And then everything changed in September of 1965 um, at what would have been the start of grape harvesting season. Itlion helped lead a strike against grape growers in uh, Delano, uh, California. Now, you need to understand, you had Filipino farm workers in the Central Valley, you had Latino farm workers, and then you had other farm workers. And when one group would strike, the farm, you know, the growers would then go to another group to, for labor to help fill the places of those who were striking. And so they were able to use the Latino workers against the Filipinos and vice versa. But this strike in September of 1965 was different. Itlion um, had been very strategic about it. And rather than allow for divisions to occur, he reached out to Cesar Chavez and his National Farm Workers Association. The two men came together, and they agreed to combine their energies. So a week after the Delano strike started, Chavez... Um, his farm workers union and um, Italians uh, workers came together and they merged those two union groups merged to create the United Farm Workers and the United Farm Workers had both Filipinos and Latinos working together working the picket lines together that is what you call idealism unifying okay now I'm old enough to remember the grape boycott, the grape strike, because there was a boycott, and it lasted for five years. You had Hollywood uh, people uh, supporting the, the workers. It became a big deal. And eventually, eventually, the grape workers were able to get a contract out of the grape growers. And uh, they were able to start to change the, uh, working conditions. Now, Itlion went on to serve um, in the United Farm Workers as the assistant director, and then he became its national boycott leader. But eventually, not all did go well. Um, Itlion left the United Farm Workers in 1971, so six years after the boycott, after the grape strike uh, began, and he left the United Farm Workers in part because he felt Filipinos were being marginalized by the United Farm Workers. So, tribalism is alive and well, and it's very hard to stamp it out. Um, later, Itlion, he went back to Delano, and he worked uh, to create a retirement home for United Farm Workers um, in that town. Um, he also went on to, to be involved in other strikes, in, including there was a grocery strike in 1974-75 that he helped organize. Eventually, in 1977, Itlion, at the age of 63, died of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, and even though you may not have heard of Itlion, he's certainly known in California. 
In 2015, Governor Jerry Brown signed a bill to make Larry Itlion Day a reality. And then there was a second bill that Brown signed uh, mandating that California schools would teach the history about the role of Filipino farm workers in the Central Valley. As one Filipino historian has said about Itlion, quote, he gave our people some dignity, he gave his guts, period, unquote. It's an example of how unifying can achieve results, about how idealists need to sometimes get beyond um, their pride, get beyond what might be um, their identity politics in order to do something about the greater good. And um, because that's what idealists do. They get together. They work for the greater good. Um, and, and that does mean having to deal with um, tribalism. Now, coming up in the next segment, I'm going to interview somebody who understands the value of the greater good. An idealist who, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, um, went to that town um, in 1990 knowing no one, and 27 years later became the mayor. So, stay tuned for that as our next section. I uh, hope you've been liking what you've listened to. This is LE 2.0 Radio at AM 950. If you like what you hear, will you go to my website at LE krug.com and peruse it will you email me at lejkrug at gmail.com i would love to hear from you and most of all i am so grateful that you tune in every monday when we come back we'll talk with mayor brad hart of cedar rapids iowa hey humans this is me ellie krug with ellie 2.0 radio Ta-da! I'm putting on another Gray Area Thinking Human Inclusivity training, and I want you to come. It will be at Open Book on Washington Avenue in Minneapolis on Saturday, March 16th from noon to 2 p.m. You can learn more or buy tickets by Googling Eventbrite Gray Area Thinking or by going to the Human is Human page on my website at elliekrug.com. Again, this is on Saturday, March 16th. See you there! Winters here are bitter. It is vital to have plenty of insulation in our home. This is Matt with the Green Home Doctors. We specialize in making your home comfortable, healthy, and energy efficient. A typical home has air leakage equal to an open window. Lost energy is expensive, causes moisture problems, ice dams, and mold. Moreover, it's bad for the climate. With attractive rebates from Centerpoint and Excel, the time is right to save energy and money with the Green Home Doctors. To learn more about the savings, visit greenhomedr.com. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years. Celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Hi, Gregory Rich, owner of Habitation Furnishing and Design and host of Drink in the Style right here on AM 950. Hey, I've only got a few seconds, so here's the deal. Habitation is the coolest furniture store in town. Not only have we got some of the most exceptional furniture in the cities, but in many cases, Habitation can offer you store credit on your existing furniture. Stop in, talk to one of our designers, and let us help you make your home exceptional. Habitation Furnishing and Design, 4317 Excelsior Boulevard in St. Louis Park. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now.
We're back on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950 with Ellie Krug. Larry Italon, okay, um, yes, quite the unifier. He had his challenges with Cesar Chavez, but he brought together, as I said in the last segment, he brought together people who ordinarily might not be together. And for the big interview coming up right now, to be able to speak to a live human who does that as well, I want to welcome Mayor Brad Hart from the city of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, in Iowa. How are you, Brad? <laughs> I'm, I'm fine, Ellie. It's cold here like it is there, but I'm inside and warm. Yes. That's a good thing. Well, welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio, and I'm just thrilled to have you on here because I have been trying to get you on this radio show four months, as you know. And uh, and listeners, just to give you some background, uh, Brad Hart is the mayor of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and I'm going to in a second have Brad talk, Brad talk about Cedar Rapids. But for further background, he's a lawyer. He's a graduate of Iowa State University and a graduate of the Houston College of Law in Houston, Texas. And on top of that, uh, listeners, just so you know, uh, Brad Hart happens to be one of my very dear friends, and uh, went back when I lived in Iowa, as many listeners know, I'm from there. Uh, Brad and I um, were very, very close social friends. So, Brad, welcome to this, welcome to the show. Can you start out by um, telling us first of all a little bit about Cedar Rapids, Iowa? <laughs> and, and I know oh, you only have so much time here, Brad, because I have heard you speak about Cedar Rapids, and I know that you can go on. Right. Cedar Rapids is a great city. It's Iowa's second largest city. As I say, second largest and best city. Um, about 132,000 residents in a metropolitan area of about 265,000 people. We had a horrible, devastating flood in 2008. Uh, fourth worst disaster in U.S. history at the time. And we have, uh, through a lot of determination, um, have recovered and, I would say, are a stronger community than ever before. Have lots of great things happening here. Well, and a lot of that recovery from the flood of 2008, Brad, uh, a lot of that recovery is attributable to you. And I know that you will never own that, accept that, but it is because you are somebody who brought, helped bring the city back together. Now, um, you're also a lawyer. And for many years in Cedar Rapids, you had a very successful law practice, right? Yes, I'd like to think there's still some success here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I didn't mean to put it totally in past terms, but well, but to a certain extent, um, you becoming mayor has, you know, obviously had some impact on your law practice. I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, right? That's true. I, I have um, cut back uh, my the time I spend at the law firm so that I can be spend the, uh, the appropriate amount of time being a lawyer. I, you know, I took on that responsibility and, and, and I'm not going to shortchange it. So I'm, I'm uh, earning less money uh, as a lawyer and overall, but uh, kind of spending that time um, trying to serve our entire community as the mayor. Right. And, and and so that gets us to idealism, okay? And that is really why, I mean, you are, as I uh, do my short list of idealists that I know in the world, you are um, in the top five of that short list. Wow. And so what was it, Brad? I mean, you, you have always, as I've known you, you have always been involved in the community. You were involved with the Chamber of Commerce. You were involved with nonprofits, with raising money and being on boards. What was it? Why was it that your idealism caused you to go from what would be, you know, community involvement, but still with a very, you know, the ability to still make a very, very good living um, as a lawyer to actually jumping into the political arena, which, um, and you, I'll let you explain that, what that's like in Cedar Rapids, and, and to give, you know, a lot of the security that you had up, at least financial security. What was it that caused you to do that? Well, I was asked, um, but but what I'll really uh, say is that, as you mentioned, I, I'm I'm a real true believer in volunteering and serving others, and 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 I've had this ability now to use my the knowledge I've gained from 25 plus years of volunteering in this community, um, kind of the skills I've developed over those times, and primarily. Um, helping to lead those organizations and so 
I was asked about two years ago to consider running for mayor, and I thought the person asking me was crazy, uh, but talked to several people he suggested I talk to, and people thought it was a good idea. And the more I thought about it, it just gave me an opportunity to try to serve our entire community instead of just the pockets of people important work we were doing for United Way, for Young Parents Network, for the Chamber of Commerce. Those things were really important. But now I get to to try my best to help everyone in Cedar Rapids, all 132,000 of them. Right. And 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 give us a little bit of a sense of the of the the landscape in Cedar Rapids politically. Is it a very strident city? Is it one that, you know, and and how did you navigate the politics? And we have about um, a minute and a half before I'll have to take a break, but I'll give you a start on that question. Okay, great. Well, the beautiful thing about um, local politics in Cedar Rapids is it's nonpartisan. So I did not have to run as a Democrat or Republican, and I do not have to kowtow to either political party. We are just making the decisions, the best decisions for Cedar Rapids. Yes, we pay attention to what happens in our state capital and in Washington, D.C., but but we do not have to make decisions or, or, or go along with a platform that we don't believe in. And so that's very helpful. And I think our community understands that now. Um, it's been a, we changed our form of government about 10 years ago, and I think people really do view us as nonpartisan um, and serving only our community. Okay, and and um, and of course we have the um, you know the political the presidential campaigning uh, beginning in earnest now. You've, you're already Iowa's already um, receiving a lot of uh, Democratic candidates who are coming into the state. Um, to do exploratory work and all of that stuff. And so you're going to face some of that that's coming up where people are going to be coming to the city. And do you get invited to their political campaigns, um, their ra- to their rallies? I certainly do get invited to some of them. Um, I, I will continue to be nonpartisan uh, in this effort because I need to be able to work with whoever is our president and whichever party is controlling our, our state house or Congress. I need to be viewed as someone who will is is representing Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, and and so I'm going to walk that fine line as as long as I can. Okay. Well, and hopefully you'll be able to walk that fine line for a good long time. Um, but of course, we don't know what the future holds as as it relates to the political landscape, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. No, and that's again the, the beauty of nonpartisan is because both uh, the, the the partisan politics is is crazy as we all know right now. Um, very much so. Very very much so. Well, Brad, uh, we're going to have to take a break here, but when we come back, I want to talk with you a little bit, for, a, a lot further about Cedar Rapids, and, but really about you, about what made you an idealist and, and what it's like um, being able to work at the grassroots. We've been talking with Brad Hart, the mayor of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on LE 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. I love to hear from listeners. I heard from one this morning, so you can email me at ellieJ. Krug at gmail.com and when we come back we'll speak uh, we'll pick it back up with Brad Hart. Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years. Celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Tune in for Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. Coming up, Envy, Vice or Virtue? Vice! Bertrand Russell said Envy was one of the greatest causes of unhappiness. Well, is it really always a bad thing? Of course it is. Envy makes you bummed out and bitter. Like, you don't think looking up to someone might just help you improve yourself? Oh, I envy your optimism. Envy, next time on Philosophy Talk. Philosophy Talk, every Sunday at 8 a.m. and again at 2 p.m. on AM 950. Hey, it's Brett from our new 4 p.m. show, the Minnesota Progressive Repartee, and I'd like to invite you to another repartee of sort. It's the 2019 Blue State Ball. 
This will actually be the fourth Blue State Ball I've attended, and I'm really looking forward to this year's. Why? Well, because after living through some tough times of the Donald Trump election and a Republican Congress, we finally turned the tide last November with the Blue Wave. So come celebrate all your hard work last year of door knocking and getting out the vote at the Blue State Ball on Saturday, March 2nd at the Blaisdale in Minneapolis. I'll be there along with my Minnesota progressive Ray Partey co-hosts Doug Padgett, Hunter Hawes, Matt McNeil, Ellie Krug, and Robert Pilot will be there, and so will our headliner, Tom Hartman. Plus, we're sure to add many more speakers and politicians in the coming weeks. As always, attire is blue jeans to ball gowns. So let's party at the Blue State Ball on Saturday, March 2nd at the Blaisdale and celebrate that blue wave. Tickets available now at am950radio.com. That's am950radio.com. Hi, Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. With the road trips we took in December, we're glad we took them in our Toyota Sienna. Whether they're family, friends, or get-togethers, the Sienna was always the most comfortable way to drive. Plenty of room for all the stuff we needed to take with us, the safety and reliability you get with a Sienna, the extras which make road trips easy, and the room to stretch on out. Rudy Luther Toyota Siennas are the most fun, safe, and reliable vehicles we've ever driven. Test drive one yourself at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Hey humans, this is me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Ta-da! I'm putting on another gray area thinking human inclusivity training and I want you to come. It will be at Open Book on Washington Avenue in Minneapolis on Saturday, March 16th from noon to 2 p.m. You can learn more or buy tickets by Googling Eventbrite Gray Area Thinking or by going to the Human is Human page on my website at elliekrug.com. Again, this is on Saturday, March 16th See you there. With your AM950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Today is mostly cloudy with a high near 9. Tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around negative 12. Tomorrow, partly sunny with a high near negative 8. Wednesday, partly sunny with a high near negative 14. And Thursday, partly sunny with a high near negative 1. The Eat Local Minnesota Restaurant of the Week is Hazel's Northeast. They have scratch dishes rooted in over 50 years of family tradition that are healthy, hearty, and beautifully served. Come visit them on 29th and Johnson in Northeast Minneapolis or for more at eatlocalminnesota.com. back on LE2.0 Radio on AM 950. I've been speaking with Mayor Brad Hart of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I might add there, formerly my hometown, lovely Cedar Rapids. And I know there are people like Iowa, Cedar Rapids. Oh, come on. Let me tell you, it is one of the best places in the world to grow up and to raise a family. I'm sure you would agree with that, Mr. Mayor. Yes? I, I would agree with that. We have received... <laughs> Oh, dozens of rankings and awards in the last three or four years. Uh, wide variety from the, one of the 10 best places for new grads to three years in a row, the, the best place in America to raise a child. We also have a world-class orchestra, uh, symphony orchestra, uh, highest budget of anything in the state. We have terrific local theater, a wonderful nightlife, museums, um, old neighborhoods, new neighborhoods, uh, and anything you want. A great school system, too. It is, um, it is a city that is very dynamic. It has its challenges. We, because um, we, the city does have some issues around uh, around socioeconomic uh, status as well as race. But it's not unlike any other American city right now. So, um, so Brad, tell us, um, what is it like? How how do you view as an idealist? different um, about being able to impact in a small city in America, particularly in the Midwest? Well, I, you know, I, I, I think um, I, the base of my idealism is because I'm kind of an, an, an eternal optimist, although serving as a public elected official sometimes challenges that. Um, but, but again, I think that local government is in some ways, the last stand for true democracy. Local government, especially if it's nonpartisan, is where the action is, where, where not only are we making sure the streets are plowed and the garbage is being picked up, but where we are helping to work with our partners to figure out issues and dealing with race and dealing with homelessness and dealing with economic opportunities, creating job opportunities for people who have certain have barriers that most of us don't face. That's where we can do this stuff and where people 
can have an impact and they can i i see every time i'm in the grocery store there's at least 10 people who say hello and and probably three or four that that talk to me about something it's it's where you can can access your public officials and if you have a good idea and you're willing to work at it at all uh you can get things done so it's it's uh it's really something that, that i think is completely worthwhile and and impactful well and and so what i mean uh I'm, I'm sure you de- you deal with personalities in Cedar Rapids, and you deal with some, you know, entrenched uh, interests in one way or another. But but do you agree that you know when you're on the local level, and if you can and and if you can keep it away from tribalism as much as possible, if you can keep it focusing towards the greater good, and you know, don't you think that that's really part of what makes a difference is that you are looking towards what is the common good for everyone in the community? I think that, yes, I think that's absolutely true. True, And I think because um, I've had this history of volunteering for the last 25 plus years for lots of organizations, um, I, I think I, I maybe get the benefit of the doubt more than some other elected officials might um, get. And and we're trying to be again we're trying to be completely accessible and open um and try to address all these issues i this this last week um i i met with some uh teenage boys who were in residential treatment facility and i met with some homeless men at one of our homeless shelters and to remind them that i represent all of them and and frankly i got some good ideas about our transit system here that I shared with our transit director. So, so it's really where you can connect with your local elected officials and throw out ideas. And lo and behold, some of those ideas will, will create changes that are positive for everyone. Well, a couple of minutes ago, Brad, you, you talked about last stand for democracy, our smaller communities, our local governments. I mean, I think that it is just such a wonderful phrase. It's also a little scary thinking that that's the last place where we have a truly dem- democratic process. But but um, uh, would you ever want Cedar Rapids to become a, a place of 500,000 people or something like that? Or do you think that it works because it is relatively small and compact? Well, we certainly want we certainly want growth, and and but we have kind of planned growth. We we create and provide economic incentives for the type of growth housing industry that we are looking for in the parts of town we're looking for. Um, so so every community wants to grow. Um, I think at one hundred thirty two thousand. Uh, the chance of getting to 500,000 or, or uh, it's certainly not going to happen in my lifetime, but there's no question. I lived in Houston, Texas for 11 years and it seemed impossible to really get right. involved and connected in a community. So I think part of it is the size of our community. Um, and, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, last stand for democracy. I, I, I yeah, maybe that's a little too harsh. I, I certainly, um, uh, I hope that's not the case, but but I think it's it's where there's true democracy. The the real view of people's people's view of democracy still happens in local government. Brad, I don't think that it's harsh at all. I mean, I think that you very well may be right that uh, our local governments, our smaller places, are the last stand for democracy. When particularly when you consider what's going on right now, listeners, you know that this show is taped right now. <clears throat> I think we're we're on day thirty of the federal shutdown, so <clears throat> it's very clear that things are not working on the larger scale. So, Brad um, and, and listeners, we're talking to Brad Hart, mayor of uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Brad. Can you uh, can we talk about what's made you an idealist? How did you get here? Okay, I mean you have and and uh, listeners, you need to understand that Brad Hart, mayor of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, Brad, you did not live in this city before 1990, so you are not like born and bred and and all of that. You came not knowing anyone in Cedar Rapids, and you started from zero and made your way to mayor um, in what 27 years, and so. What 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 makes you an idealist? How did you get here? Oh, 
<laughs> you knew That's I was really, going. You, you know, knew I was going right, to ask you right, this. Right, right. Uh, there, there are so many factors in there. You know, certainly my parents were at least somewhat engaged in the community in different ways. Um, I'm a middle child, so I, I wanted that. I was always trying to solve the problems of my older sister and my younger brother and keep keep the peace. Um, I, I think living in Houston, Texas, after having been born and raised in a town of thirty-five thousand in southeast Iowa. Going to that big city was exciting when I was young, but then I knew there was something missing, and that's when we came back to Iowa and to Cedar Rapids. And then having a chance to volunteer, and volunteer for only for causes that I really believed in, um, gave me a chance to see that I could help make a difference. And I and in some very clear examples of ways that that we could I could help change and sometimes save lives. And that's incredibly meaningful. And so that gives me a chance to think, yes, if people work together and believe in a cause, they can accomplish almost anything. And frankly, our 2016 flood scare here, where we had water that was the second highest in history, uh, 10,000 people showed up to sandbag and saved the city. Most of them, 95%, weren't worried about their home or their business. They were just not going to let our city flood again. And that was inspiring. Those people volunteered, and I remind people now: if we can, if we work together and team up, we can overcome any obstacle. So you had almost ten percent of the of the city population. In was it in the fall of 2016 or the the summer? No, it was in August. August of 2016, almost ten percent of the city turned out in Cedar Rapids to sandbag to prevent a, a recurrence of what had been a flood just eight years earlier. Yeah, it was remarkable. Even little little girls would were there just with their parents. The parents were sandbagging, and the girls were handing out water bottles or, or holding the sandbags open while people with the shovels dropped the sand in them. It's, it was really all walks of life. People driving around neighborhoods with uh, trailers full of sandbags just stopping to see if homes needed them to protect their basements. And it was it was a remarkable experience. So, Brad, earlier you had talked about being an eternal optimist. Okay, and I, I personally believe that that's an, an essential ingredient to be an idealist, is that we have to believe in the, in the goodness of people, that we have to believe that we can always get past <clears throat> what our problems are. And, and we believe in, you know, in the fact that um, things will work out. Um, what fuels your optimism? I mean, how do you stay optimistic? Well, I, as I mentioned, you know, I've had these opportunities to, in my volunteering days, to, to see um, and witness um, the the work, good work that these organizations do, and and we, our city, is on is really on a great roll. As I mentioned, that list of accolades is really widespread, including. Uh, a score of 100 percent on a municipal equality scorecard recently. I'm really proud of that. That and would be the great. that would be the human rights campaign, yes. uh, corporate uh, municipal uh, equality index, which is, rates uh, the city government as to how welcoming it is towards LGBTQ people. So I'm I was thrilled to hear about that as well. Thank yeah. you. No, it's it's uh, our community is becoming more more diverse. Um, the the in the Oh, 2000, I think we only had 8 or 9% uh, minority uh, citizens, and, and that's up to about 14 or 15%. And if you look uh, at age 24 and younger, th that population is closer to 25%. So I, I feel like we are becoming a more welcoming and engaged community. Um, and I'm doing everything I can to encourage people to get engaged and if i have a minute we have 31 boards and commissions in which citizens can serve and help and bring their expertise and their passion and we're working really hard to expand the number of people who who volunteer to do that work because we want to leverage that and they get engaged they bring good ideas and they become more committed and to the to our city yep well, and, and as I'm speaking with you, and we have about a minute left, you're reminding me that one role of the idealist is that of cheerleader, because you are all you have been doing during this entire interview is you have been cheering about Cedar Rapids, and it's very clear that when you're doing your work, you're cheering others on. Yeah, 
Oh, that's true. I, I, and when people, when I, I get a chance to talk to a lot of people about the importance of volunteering uh, in your career, in your job, in your life, but, but what I would tell people is, is only don't look at it as a resume builder. Look at it as a chance to serve. And there's just something really special about serving for a cause you believe in and working with other volunteers who believe in the cause too. There's just something about that. There's really no other way to get that special feeling. So I would encourage people to to do that. And if you do something that's not the right fit, walk away, find something else. There's something for everyone out there and everyone wins when people volunteer and serve others. Brad Hart, I could sit and talk with you for another hour, as you know, and you are very dear to me, but you're also very dear to Cedar Rapids. And I just, I want to say thank you, my friend. Thank you thank for being you. on my show, but thank you for what you're doing for a community that is so incredibly dear to my heart. And so the people of Cedar Rapids are lucky to have you. I'm lucky to have you as a friend. And Brad Hart, thank you for being on LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you, Elliot. It was great fun. Let's let's spend offline. Let's spend another hour or two soon. <laughs> Absolutely, my friend. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. We've been we've been speaking with Brad Hart, the mayor of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, talking about him as an idealist. Um, if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. We are all about idealism, and if you did not get triggered by what Brad Hart just talked about, about the need to volunteer, please play it back. Listen to it again, because Brad Hart, he is a cheerleader. He is an example, a shining example of what idealists are. We'll be back in a minute, and we'll do my C block. Thanks. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. We are given the gift of intuition on how to care for ourselves and our families. But too often, we forsake that knowledge for the voice of authority. Green Tea Conversations is a radio show for people like you, who are on a journey to take responsibility for their health and who want to play a more active role in their family's well-being. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings magazine, and I'm excited to bring Green Tea Conversations into your home. Join me every Sunday at 10 a.m. as I interview local experts straight from the pages of Natural Awakenings who will share progressive ideas in the latest natural approaches in nutrition, fitness, creative expression, personal growth, and sustainable living in a fun and informative way. Podcasts of the show are available anytime at naturaltwincities.com, am950radio.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. So grab a cup of tea and join the conversations on Sundays at 10 a.m. as we awaken to natural health. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. 
I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. And we're back on AM 950. I don't know. I mean, I hope that you could feel the energy emanating from Cedar Rapids, Iowa with Brad Hart's interview. You know, and that, I mean, that is what I talked to. I mean, idealists need to be cheerleaders. They do. And they need to they need to focus, just like Larry Itlion did um, with the United Farm Workers, need to focus on the common good. They do. That is what idealists do. We focus on the common good. All right, so we're in my C block right now where I talk about my work because the station manager, Chad Larson, who I adore, um, says, Ellie, you got to talk about your work. So here we are. So I've been pressing this theme about unifying over dividing for this show, um, as I said, because that's what I believe that idealists do. But um, to be clear, okay, I have engaged in some things that could be considered exceedingly partisan. I have. It's not my preference, but I have done that. So I'll give you an example. Most recently, probably the one that stands out is that I was uh, two years ago, um, well, it would be a year ago, October. So October of 2017, I was asked to speak at what was uh, termed the People's Justice Rally on the state capital steps here in many in uh, the twin cities in st paul um the people's justice rally was coming in the wake of police involved shootings um in the twin cities and and uh, months after the trump administration had uh, taken the reins of our government and i was recruited i was recruited people came to me they said ellie would you like to we would like to have you speak um they wanted me to speak about lgbtq humans um particularly about uh, protecting the rights of transgender people. And uh, I was, you know, so this was not on the educational front. This was on the soapbox front. And I was um, okay to do that. I was all right with it. I had not done much of it, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe you need to do this. So I actually got involved with organizational meetings for this People's Justice Rally. Uh, Many emails, okay, and the appointed day came, and I, you know, it was supposed to start like at 10 o'clock and go till for two and a half hours on a Saturday in October of 2017. I was told I'd get 15 minutes to speak, okay? Now, you tell me something starts at 10 o'clock. Um, they didn't give me what time precisely I would speak, but I was, I had the impression it would be pretty early on because I'm, they knew that I'm, I've got a lot of things going on, but you tell me to be at a place at a certain time. I will be there. I will be there 15 minutes early because that's the way I am. I am a bit neurotic, but I'm also professional. And so I was at the Capitol. I probably, I think on that day I was at the Capitol at 930 and, uh, you know, I got there and there was no one there. <laughs> um, uh, no, it was the right day, but I was not. No, I was the first one there. And then eventually people started to come because they were also tabling in the rotunda of the Capitol. So I, I was there as people were setting up tables, setting up, you know, stations about their relatively different um, interest groups. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I mean, I was there at least a half hour before the organizer was there, you know, the main person. And the rally began not at 10 o'clock, but at like 11.15 in the morning. I'm, you know, learning things here. Um, and some that are listening to this will understand um, that uh, you may be even laughing right now about how naive I was and probably continue to be. So there was a big slate of people to speak at this People's Justice Rally. And there were also some performers. So they had a, a group uh, come in to do a Native American dance, and they had some other folks uh, come in, a, a group of uh, kids from a school to come in and sing and stuff like that. And the rally started. It was, you know, it was October. It was sunny but relatively warm. And it started with about 200 people. I thought, well, okay. And then uh, the weather changed. And it became, started to get colder. It started to rain a little bit, like, you know, a little drizzle, and then it would stop, and then it would start again, and then the wind started kicking up. 
And there were multiple times where I was told, Ellie, you're on next. Okay, you're on next, you're going to come next. And then <clears throat> somehow, some way, somebody got ahead of me. And so, now remember, this was supposed to go from 10 to like 12.15. It doesn't start till 11.15. And it gets to 2.15 and I'm not up. And the weather is pretty miserable at this point. And we're down to maybe 30 people. And, some, and finally they come to me at 2.15 and they say, okay, you're up as the next speaker, but Ellie, you only have one minute because Capitol Police have come to us and said, it's time, our time, we're past our time and we need to wrap this up. And I'm like, really? Really? And so, um, yes, I did speak. Uh, I said something that barely made any sense because if you know me, you give me a minute. I can't even say my name in a minute. And so um, it, uh, and I, I got done. I looked at the organizer. I gave her a frown and I just simply walked away. That was it. I, you know, nobody came to me to say anything. And I just, and I actually, I don't think I ever had any contact with him after that. Um, and so, as you can expect, it left a very sour taste in my mouth. Now, obviously, I'm learning, I was learning the ropes about how it's done, <clears throat> but I'm one of these people, you ask me to come speak, I expect to speak. I do. And while I understand that things get in the way, all of that stuff, um, that's fine. I understand that. However, uh, I felt marginalized by the time the whole experience was done, and I was there to protect people from being marginalized. Enough said, that was my experience at being a divider. I won't do it again. Okay, well, we put in a really what I think is a good show. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. If you like what you hear, let others know. A big thanks to our sponsors, the Pride Institute, which is a drug and alcohol residential and outpatient recovery center, and Brending Electrolysis over in St. Paul. Let Bev know that I sent you because Bev does incredibly great work. We need some more sponsors, so if you know of anybody that would be willing to sponsor my show who wants to believe in an idealist like Ellie Krug, send them our way. I need to do a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson, who is the phenomenal producer, and to you, my listeners. I want to do a big thanks. Thanks for listening. Please email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. Visit my website at lejkrug.com. I'll be back next week talking more about idealism. Bye.